people want to believe, we tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it just isn't easy to understand? This is No God. You are listening to the No God Podcast. I'm Micah, and I'm here with Tony and Sandy. And today we have a very lighthearted topic for you. What is that? Yeah, lighthearted indeed. Who is Satan? Never mind. It's not lighthearted at all. Yep. Yes, not at all. <laughs> and kind of a corollary question that is actually one that I get more often than who is Satan is, does Satan control our world? Okay. And then subset, does Satan control my stuff? Right. That right. kind of thing. Okay, so, yeah, great. Those are, those are the kinds of questions that people have about this. So, all right. Well, let's dive right in. Okay, dive right in. Well, we can look at the Bible and find out what the Bible says about who he is, the the names of Satan and, and all that kind of stuff. And so the usual name for, I mean, the, the most prevalent and the one that's probably well known is just Satan. Right. That is actually a name, but it actually is a transliteration of a Hebrew word that means adversary. What's the difference between translation and transliteration? Translation is when you take a word like, you know, that, that you're going to tell what it is in English. Transliteration is when you don't use the definition, but you just take the sound of that other language word and bring it over into okay. the other language, oh, okay. into English. So that's transliteration. And so Satan is what the Hebrew word sounds like to a degree. Not that I'm saying it exactly the way the Hebrew word comes out. But that word actually means adversary. Okay. Or opponent, you know, but, you know, the person across on the other side against you. And so that is the word that's used in the Old Testament book of Job, uh, a 42 chapters of poet poetry describing um, some things about the relationship of Satan and God. And so, and we don't, I mean, that that's a whole nother study in itself, but it's the word that's used there is Satan comes and talks to God, comes before the presence of God. So that's the name that's there. And so his name, and so when you think about what Satan is the word that's used the most, then we realize that because the name has a meaning, mm-hmm. that basically his name represents his core nature. And yeah. that is that he is the adversary of God. That is where it begins. Then all the other names then follow and are giving descriptions of how that nature of Satan presents itself in situations or to people in different ways. And so yeah. there are more than 20 different terms that are used to describe the the being called Satan. Mm-hmm. And so let me just give you a sampling of those <clears throat> because his name... There's other words like diabolos, which is a Greek word, actually. It means accuser or slanderer. So someone's going around just tearing people down or tearing others down. Apollyon, uh, and that is destroyer. Revelation chapter 9 is where that word is found. Okay, I don't think I've ever noticed that one. Apollyon. And then there's other variations of that depending on the transliteration because Apollyon is simply the transliteration of the Greek word Mm. into English, like an English name. Okay. Then there's Beelzebub, which I know people have heard that term that don't necessarily, you know, it's like, it's like the media, it's like the movie term or something, you know, (laughs) Beelzebub, Beelzebub. Uh, It's actually taken, it's, it's, Jesus refers to Beelzebub in Matthew chapter 12, but it's actually found in first Kings in the old Testament, in the story about things are going on. And technically the, that two word name means Lord of the Flies. So the Lord of the Flies movie should have been titled yeah. or book. Beelzebub. <laughs> Lord of the Flies. That was, you know, that's, I don't know if high school still read it. I think I read it when I was a freshman in high school. I don't remember for sure. Somewhere there, a freshman or sophomore in literature class. 
Uh, and some people then, kind of moving along from that, some people uh, think that the reference to Lucifer, which again, people recognize that name, mm-hmm. Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, some people believe it uh, applies only to the, the literal human king of Babylon, which is the context of that Isaiah passage. And others see it as, well, yes, it's talking about that king, but it's actually a bigger picture talking a description of the devil, of Satan. Ah, so that might not technically be... That is that is a point that is you know somewhat of a d- divided okay. theologically. Um, some of these other terms are not like people go, yes, that's Satan, that's Satan, that, that, that's who it's referring to. But then this Lucifer is actually one that is debated of whether or not it applies. Although m- many, many people theologically find the origin story of Satan in this Lucifer story of Isaiah chapter 14. Okay. Uh, and it that Lucifer means um, like radiant star, shining star. And so then you take, and of course, this is how people do Bible interpretation. And sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not. You jump from Isaiah 14 and you go to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where it says that Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. And so then theologically, people take that. Well, Paul says he's an angel of light. We have Lucifer, who is a shining star, quote, uh, angel of light. And there becomes the, the Bible interpretation connection across the Testaments. And again, like I say, that's kind of a divided thing. Um, but that origin story, without reading that passage, is that he was a bright, greatest of the creation, bright shining star, and he fell. Right. And so the king of Babylon... And if you read, not even just in the Bible, but also other historical documents, the king of Babylon at that time, you know, seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, mm-hmm. massive, amazing city and kingdom. And so the king is at the, at the you know, on top of that. And so he was really treated as a god, claimed to be a god and so mm. forth. And so then, but then when the kingdom of Babylon was destroyed right. by the Persians, crash. You know, of course, Isaiah was prophesying that. Mm-hmm. So then people see in this, here's the great one at the top, crashes down back to earth. They see that as a picture that matches the language of the Apostle Paul and also of Jesus, where he talks, Jesus said, I, in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Okay. So that, there is there is other areas of the Bible where it kind of refers to him as an angel that has fallen. Right. And we pause here because this is our podcast, kind of a how to handle the Bible. This is one of those that is a widely accepted theological premise that has a lot of um, chain link things that not everybody agrees that the right links are linked together. Right. Yeah. 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 Because I think I've just always assumed that that story definitely was the, I guess, backstory of yes. Satan. Yeah, I did too. I exactly. didn't realize it was a reference to... Right, and so it kind of depends on the theological camp or just the perspective. For myself, I kind of go, it's, it's possible either way. It could mm-hmm. be just the king of Babylon. I do believe it's first the king of Babylon, but there are other kinds of scriptures that have kind of a two-phase meaning. Right, right. A lot meaning of the, for right then, yes, but also... Because the prophecies of Jesus, the Messiah... And I'm not going to even go into that, but many of the prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah, when the apostles quote that Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus, the people in the first century would go, that was talking about the Messiah? They didn't make the connection because it seemed to be 
exclusively the event that happened in the Old Testament times. Mm-hmm. So there is precedent for that kind of Bible interpretation. I'm just always more comfortable if the uh, and if an apostle has made the connection right, rather than right. rather than not. So that's kind of a long pause there about who is Satan, but that but Lucifer again is a well. I mean, you know, there that's a media phrase. That's like in in popular oh, yeah. right literature and and stuff. That that that's a phrase that people are familiar with. But that's where that comes from. Um, then there is the the term serpent, which again seems to be almost like a double thing. Like you got the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. with the serpent tempting Eve, and again theologically people see that as well. Figuratively, Satan was presenting himself as a serpent. Maybe he was possessing the physical body of a serpent. Like don't think like garter snake. Think anaconda. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so serpent becomes a term all through the Bible, all the way to the book of Revelation. Right. As a term that describes is the name of Satan, the serpent from old. Hmm. Um, and then uh, more descriptive, but still considered a name. Second Corinthians four talks about that. He is the ruler of this age, this era, this eon. And then you have uh, Satan and the other evil spirits are, are fallen angels. And so when we begin to move from his name to what he is, mm-hmm. It seems to be that the umbrella of Second Peter chapter two verse four, which says, "If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment," then it says, "If God didn't, if God did that, then He's going to take care of any other rebellion as well." He's talking about human rebellion, and so Satan and the other evil spirits then are fallen angels. They were created as righteous beings, and somehow. Satan rebelled. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of theories about that. And really you do move into, it is sheer speculation with lightly touching some phrases or concepts in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but again, the, people are looking for that origin story. Right. So what, like, what is specifically spelled out about his origin and rebellion? Um, his origin... This is as close as it gets. Really? That, well, going on the theological, the, the assumption is God is a creator of all. So therefore, there's nothing that exists that wasn't created by God. Therefore, right. Satan is created by God. Right, right. They are not the, I, I, the, the exact phrasing, the yin and the yang, the yin, the yin and the yang, the concept of a dark and a light mm-hmm. that is the eternal right. balance yeah. of the universe from Eastern religions Satan is not eternal and God is also eternal and they're co-eternal in the same way. That is not true. Only God is eternal. We that That's our faith step coming from biblical teaching and that Satan is created and therefore, even though he might be an amazing being, which you get from, that comes from that Isaiah passage, right. that this great shining top, most amazing cre- creature made and then... That's the, that's the origin, but the origin of the rebellion is just, it happened. Now I did, I'll give you one theoretical thing that okay. a missionary who was a Bible translator that I met oh, more than 20 years ago and had a conversation, late night conversation with him about this about Bible translation. So he got into the <laughs> origins of Satan uh-huh. and he proposed that whether it's in the seven days of creation in Genesis one or some other way that, that he, and this is just pure speculation on his part that when Satan was created and he was like, he looked across 
the chasm or looked across the space to the creator God. Of course, this is in the spirit realm, so don't think material look. Right, right. right. He immediately saw himself as an equal. Okay. Which this, the missionary, the, this Bible translator believed that that for him made the most sense of why Satan would have rebelled. And so would have thought we both came into existence at the same moment. Okay. That's an interesting That's thought. He... In other words, there's not this long span of here's Satan being a nice angel up in heaven. And all of a sudden he decides, hey guys, let's rebel against God, you know, <laughs> which is the other way that you have to go with this is that there was this time period, eternal time, actually lack of time or whatever. I mean, but, and then Satan decides we could take him, you right. know, I mean, that's another theory. Mm-hmm. Not exactly that phrasing. But, but you lean towards the other. Well, I don't know, really. I One, we don't know. Yeah. But which one makes more sense? I don't know. The one is highly speculative. I mean, it is truly, it's almost like philosophically speculative. Cause which it ex- one? The, that when Satan was created, he looked across and goes, we were created at the same time. We came into existence at the same time. And so saw God as an adversary from the exact media. But then you come into the whole uh, realm of God's sovereignty and he created and he would have known that was going to happen. So why did he create Satan that immediately he was going to be in rebellion against him? All that. And it's like, you know, you know that we've talked about that kind of stuff in yeah. our podcast before. So I don't know. But so the, most of the traditions or mythology around Satan is speculation then. Yes. There's the core that is in the text. Yes. But a lot of the explanations of it are right. purely speculative. And especially the origins. Because we have, well, we get into the end of it, which is, you know, a whole nother realm. And then you have the massive amount of disagreement theologically about how the end of the world is going to occur and how right, Satan right. fits into the end of the world. So then that, it's almost like the origin story is almost unknown, biblically speaking, mm-hmm. at least for absolute certainty. That's my opinion. Right. And then you have the end and how it all ends. Some people feel like very confident that we know how that's going to happen. But then there's all of this, um, this massive amount of speculation that comes with, with the lead up to that. Right. So when I think about this question, you know, who is Satan? What is, what is he, what's his power and what impact does he have on human beings? Mm -hmm. That's more the practical part. That's the daily living kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so one of the things we do know is, as you were saying, God created him at some point mm-hmm. yeah so he is not on an equal footing with god he's right. not the brother of god he is right. a creation yeah and again that comes from the fact that the passages that say only god is immortal that only god has existed forever and so that eliminates any other possibility mm-hmm. all right so that's kind of that, you know, Satan was created perfect, apparently. I mean, that, that because God creates perfectly, but yet with free will, we would go with free will. You know, that's kind of my viewpoint. Then Satan rebelled somehow, which that is clear. There is a rebellion that occurs in heaven. And then he comes into a locked battle against the creator. And then we are in the midst of that battle between that Satan is bringing against God as the creator. Right. And we have all that. So, um, so back in 1941, C.S. Lewis um, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in the preface of that is an interesting excerpt that I think Sandy's going to read for us. Okay. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. 
The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail to materialistic or a magician with the same delight. Right. So materialistic being that there is no spirit reality, right. that it, do, it just doesn't exist. There's no God and there's no Satan. Okay. That's a materialistic yeah. explanation. Or that it's more about magic and sorcery and that we can somehow tap into that power and manipulate it for our okay. purposes. So the book is about, the Screwtape Letters is about a experienced demon coaching an inexperienced demon on how to tempt and uh, deceive people, the individual people. So the ex inexperienced demon is assigned to a certain person and the, and the, the letters are back and forth between these two demons. This is, it's an interesting piece of literature. They're really pr kind of pretty popular for uh -huh. some people. So that there are lots more names of Satan, but I think that's like kind of that's kind of like the overview, some of the the ones that are used more frequently, whatever. And I thought we would maybe just kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about the primary ways that Satan works in this world against God, against people, or and then how we face that activity of Satan. So that's that's where we jump into next. If we think about how Satan primarily works you know, where does it start? It starts in Genesis three, but it's described in it's in that event in Genesis three, where he has the conversation with Eve, probably Adam standing right beside her. Um, then that is referenced in various places throughout the Bible, including the new Testament. And so I would kind of want to just thought we'd start with uh second Corinthians chapter 11, verse three, uh, as kind of our starting point. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the primary work of Satan or the primary methodology is deception. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the deceiver. That's how we get introduced to Satan in Genesis chapter 3. And that becomes a reference point for the conflict that we experience as we try to know God and why it seems so hard at times is that there is a deception going on constantly around us, uh, not in a conspiracy theory type way. I mean, if you want to say Satan has a conspiracy theory against God, <laughs> sure, you know, a conspiracy against God. But it is fundamentally, it is deception. That's the main thing. And so then you have like Acts chapter 13, an event where the apostle Paul in his early years, so he's actually called Saul at that point because he, he had the Hebrew name and he had the Greek name. And he is confronting um, a magician or sorcerer kind of guy named uh, Elamas. And he has, he makes this comment about that in Acts chapter 13, verse 10. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? So we see this, this concept of deception coming from the hand of Satan or from the activity of Satan as a very clear theme uh, for the church. Mm -hmm. I mean, as the apostle Paul is going along. And so this Elemas was, was looking, was hanging out with the new believers and in a sense, trying to dissuade them that, Oh no, this is, I know this stuff because he was a sorcerer. So he was a, apparently, I mean, we don't know a lot about him, although there's a ton of mythology about him in Christian writings, but it is that he did have some type of, regard amongst people, whether he himself was doing deceptive stuff and like sleight of hand kind of magic or whether he was actually doing 
some actual manipulation. Stuff. Yeah, unexplainable stuff. And so he was there with Paul while Paul was preaching, and in particular to the, uh, the governmental leader of that island where this event occurs. And Elymas is trying to tell that uh, Sergius Paulus, the, the governor, he says, oh, I can do this stuff. It's a little bit like the magician's and Moses' confrontation in front oh, of yeah, Pharaoh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, where there's some stuff that is just pure sleight of hand, and then there's other stuff that is unexplainable. Right. There's both kinds that are called magic or mm-hmm. illusion as we try to differentiate it nowadays. And so there it is. And so it's trickery, it's deception. That's the main, that's the main methodology of satanic activity around us. And so how do we face that? Well, again, this is a little bit random. But I thought I'd throw this one on just early on in the conversation because it almost seems like, ah, where does this fit? And that's in Ephesians chapter 4, 26, 27. It's actually a pretty well-known teaching of the New Testament, even if people don't know the reference of it. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Oh, I've heard that before. Right. And as a a person that struggles with anger, that always kind of... So this is a good place for us to pause because we want to talk about how Satan works, but also then how we face Mm -hmm. his work against us. And so what is the connection? And I don't have have an answer to feed you. I want you guys to give me this answer or somebody listening to the podcast. But if Satan's main activity, main method is deception, and we give Satan a foothold in our lives by letting the sun go down on our anger. In other words, staying angry against Mm -hmm. someone. What is the connection between Satan using deception as his main methodology and people holding in their anger and giving Satan a a place to plug into our lives? I think it would just be the anger is a, it's a strong emotion. Right. And it's a good place for, bad thoughts to fester mm-hmm. um and i think you know it, you, you, deception could take a good foothold in that in that it could trick you into thinking that this is a healthy way to get rid of that anger or to direct that anger okay or that it doesn't matter if i hold on to anger for a long time you know right it, it's all right mm-hmm. to go to bed angry yeah you know and not to settle differences and it won't make it won't make any difference you know if i get mad at tony before bedtime and i go to bed angry you know it's not going to hurt our relationship that you know it's okay i'll make you know make up for it tomorrow right but it it does it's a deception we think it's okay but it does affect us yeah i kind of bring this passage because this is a principle of relationships that's taught it, many many places outside of quote church mm-hmm. this is a this is a a counselor whether we call them a christian counselor or just a non you know a secular counselor they're going to say how we deal with anger and holding it in because this is talking about buried anger letting the sun go down on our anger is it's we're burying it and that that is not going to have any kind of impact on our relationships and so even this is such a common human experience. And so in this common human experience, I get angry and I have a choice. Well, a few choices. I'm going to explode. I'm going to bury it. Or I'm going to do what is suggested here in this biblical teaching, which is I need to I need to get it out and talk to the person. I need to not let the sun go down on my anger, which mm-hmm. implies, didn't say it right there, 
that we have to get this resolved with a person. And so if we bury it, which I don't know statistically in human nature, which is the more likely, the explosive anger or the burying anger? I would guess bury, but... I mean, that's my guess too, but that's only because that's what I do. You know, I mean, that, that's my temptation. Um, but Satan then, if he's a deceiver, he's deceived me into thinking this is going to have no impact on my relationships and it's going to have no impact on my personal health. Because again, this is a thing that even health professionals will say, stuffing anger, stuffing emotions will has all these physical repercussions for a person. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about Satan's names, let's just go back to what we already talked about. Yeah. He's, he's a destroyer. Well, one of the ways that he destroys is this deception that it's not going to matter if I bury my anger. It's going to have no impact or whatever. It's not, it's not going to matter. And when it has huge ramifications, both to our physical nature mm-hmm. and to our spiritual nature and our relationships. Yeah, relationships, yeah. It makes, so um, going with another one of the names, the Beelzebub, um, Lord of the Flies, like, I mean, that seems to uh, evoke a rottenness. Yes. Uh, which kind of you know anger can be the uh the emotion that kind of gets in your soul and just rots you from the inside out and festers Mm -hmm. that would attract flies yes yeah Mm. yeah and to get very graphic who lay eggs and become maggots in our souls (laughs) you know so produce more issues (laughs) soul magnets (laughs) maggots maggots soul maggots maggots. there we go that sticks with the theme so we can kind of move on from that, but as we think about Satan and what he does, it's helpful to see what are the, the one, two, three big categories of his tactics and how they impact us. And I thought that this uh, Ephesians passage was one that was very helpful. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, same little letter from Paul, uh, at the end of that chapter, there's a stretch that many people who are like church-going people and who do like, who have you know, have uh, been, you know, exposed to or trained in the concepts of what's called spiritual warfare, that kind of thing. Uh, this passage speaks a lot to that. And it's a long passage. It's talking about that in order to, we need to know our enemy, who is the devil, and and we need to realize that he has schemes, which is what that, that passage talks about. Uh, and actually, in this particular case, the English word schemes is actually a transliteration of the Greek word schemes. Uh, schema Mm -hmm. that's where the word actually comes from but they mean the same thing which is a plan that is not always necessarily known all the details of in behind we see a presentation of it we see the impact of it but we don't see what's behind it necessarily when we think of scheme in america right right yeah that's what a scheme is uh so the devil's crafty overwhelms us when we're weak will trick us you know that kind of stuff and so our enemies are the spiritual forces of evil, which is what this passage talks about. And we're not reading the passage. We're just mm-hmm. kind of describing what's in there. Um, but as we think about that, when we become a child of God, we, we move ourselves into being in a position of, uh, we left being an enemy of God. Mm-hmm. And now, because we have become friends with God, we are now enemies of Satan. We didn't think, we didn't maybe necessarily realize it, that that's what was happening. Right. But when you think about it, if there right. are two big beings that are at war with each other, if I move from one camp to the other, then I've just become the enemy of the other. Right. That makes sense. And so this passage is the one that kind of, that teaches that uh, pretty clear that we're in a battle. It's a metaphor that some of us would prefer not to have to face. We'd rather think more in terms of healing and health, you know, that we become a Christian and our souls are healed. 
Mm-hmm. But we don't think about it. we become a Christian and all of a sudden we got to strap on the armor, the battle armor. Right. Yeah. And so it's interesting that there are a few different metaphors of what it means for us in our in ourselves to be followers of Christ. One is the healing metaphor, which the word actually salvation, our English word salvation translating the Greek word behind that, is actually a healing metaphor. We think, I don't you know what, people have a lot of things that are attached to that word. But in the Greek, it is a healing metaphor. Mm-hmm. And then we have this battle metaphor that comes, which, you know, healing is I'm sick, I'm getting healed. The battle is I left one camp. Somebody came and rescued me with a, a helicopter, lifted me out of the enemy's land and brought me to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. There's the rescue. Uh, the Second Timothy uses rescued from the dominion of darkness. That's Colossians chapter one. So that metaphor of being rescued out of a battle and placed into a safe fortress is we like again, that one we like that one as long as we then don't have to put strap on the armor <laughs> mm-hmm. and go back out and confront and yeah yeah which then yes. talks about the purpose of god and the apostles embraced that battle by preaching the gospel and so this passage and i'm just kind of looking at you know it's what we believe but then we that the very end of that ephesians chapter 6 passage it talks about that we take on the sword of the spirit which is the only offensive weapon in this battle, this armor metaphor. And that sword of the spirit is the word of God. So we need to know it well. We need to speak it. Uh, We are a marching army that is proclaiming the word of God. It's our offensive piece of equipment. And why would we be taking, why would we be going on the offensive against Satan? Can we beat him? No, we are going to rescue others who are in the kingdom of darkness. So it's not us going to battle with him. It's going in and trying to... We are going on a rescue mission. A rescue mission. Oh. Okay. I don't know if I ever looked at it that way. Did you? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, so we... Th- when This is the problem with spiritual warfare when it gets too self-focused. Oh, I'm in this this eternal battle with Satan himself, or at least one of his tough demons, you know. Yeah. And it's about me, my survival. Well, yes, all the defensive armament, the breastplate, the helmet, all that stuff is about being protected. Um, The shield, which is faith. But ultimately, the only reason we're on that battlefield is to rescue others. That's not talked about much. I mean, is it? Because anytime I've heard anybody talk about this, they're talking about putting on the armor to protect protect themselves. And I've probably been the same way and not thought about, oh... I'm putting on the armor so I can go help fight the battle. Because a soldier doesn't put on the armor unless he's going into battle. Right. Stay inside the fortress. Stay inside the fortress. Ah. And so that's a problem with, I think about this, the implications for churches. Mm -hmm. Is my church my fortress, my protection against, quote, the world or against Satan, against evil? Mm -hmm. And so here I am with my children and my friends and my family, and we're in the fortress and we're just waiting for what? What are we waiting for? Jesus Waiting for the end of the world? Yeah. So if you're just putting on your armor to stay inside the fortress, you're really not using it correctly. Right. In fact, it's a waste. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an odd exercise. <laughs> you know, hmm. here we go, strapping on our armor, but we're not going anywhere where we're going to get attacked because we're in the it's fortress. It's just to help me feel cozy. Yes. Yeah. And safe. It's all about me. But when the Lord says, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, all of a sudden he's saying, we're going to open up those gates and we're going to march out. You're going to put your armor on yes. and 
Yeah. And out we go with him. We don't go out with by right. ourselves. If you want to flip that metaphor even more from mm-hmm. Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus asks Peter, um, who do people say that I am? And Peter, after a little bit, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Well, Peter, you are exactly right. And on you are rock. And on this rock, two different words for rock there, by the way, um, is this, this confession of faith that I am the son of God, I will build my church. And then what's the next phrase? Anybody remember here? It's something about being a blessing or something? No, no. Well, no. not in this passage. Oh, dang it. Yep. Okay, here it goes. I can't remember. Um, the, uh, on this rock, I will build my church and... The, the gates, gates of, of hell. hell will not I prevail against it. it. Okay. Now let's just flip our fortress mentality here for a moment, okay? okay? Because it, what do we think? And again, Martin Luther wrote a wonderful song from Psalm 46. A mighty fortress is our God. Okay? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it. And so it feeds, there is a sense that's true, but if we get to thinking that I just need to stay in the fortress, then we haven't even noticed what Jesus said uh, concerning the great confession, which is who has the gates and who is in their fortress. It is not the believer in Jesus. It is Satan. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's Ooh. the gates of hell that are, that are shut up against the work of God. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And so, what does that imply? I was just going to say. We are <laughs> marching against the gates of hell. Oh. You know, we sing, are marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. You know, as if we're going well, to heaven. I'm not singing that. What the? What is that song? <laughs> oh. that's, a, that's a, using the Psalms as a metaphor of that going to heaven is going to yeah, Zion. we sang that right. in church when I was yes. a kid, you know. We and were so instead, we don't heaven. say, hey, we're marching to the gates of hell, knocking them down and rescuing people. No, we don't sing <laughs> that. Just make that song up. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> oh. So I guess in, in, in this podcast, I'm trying to kind of flip it here where we think, oh man, I've got to be so afraid of Satan and I've got to be protected and I've got to hide when actually the believer in Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about in other podcasts, to go on a rescue mission and to actually attack the gates of hell in this world, in our reality. Right. Wow. Huh. So I see that now. I've never looked at it that way before. Yeah. Have you? No. So that gives us a picture of, I mean, again, we are just sketching the top of this, this uh, topic. But when we begin to realize that, yes, Satan is the enemy of God. He is fundamentally a deceiver. Then we need to realize that our moving from and, and we, we weren't even aware of it, that we were in his camp necessarily. We were deceived. I was going to say we were yeah. just ignorant. We yeah, ignorant. Know. And then that, that, again, that's one of the phrases that the Bible uses about those who are unbelievers. They're just ignorant. They don't even know what's going on in this world. They don't realize there's a battle going on. And so then when we are rescued and brought into the dominion of light from Colossians chapter one that Jesus has brought into the world, then all of a sudden we go, man, this is, this is incredible. What about those people out there? They're, they're lost. I mean, you know, 
and again, we use these Bible, we use these churchy kind of terms lost and we don't realize what we're talking about is that they are in this, this cloud of deception that they don't really understand reality. Hmm. And I, and you know, just follow social media a little bit and you can see a lot of this cloudiness of life of just things that people do that they think is a great idea and it's truly, it's not helpful. And that is all part of this, this, uh, this expansive deception that comes from the enemy of God. And so when we're deceived, we don't know we're deceived yeah. right. until someone shows us a different way. Yeah, so it way. takes somebody with their armor on coming out and mm-hmm. yeah. befriending us and yes. helping us grow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the the Bible then goes on and talks about the that Satan's realm is going to be dismantled. And it actually is in the process of being dismantled um, by the rescue of people out of the dominion of darkness. And we And then we move on and then we move into an end times kind of thing. So I don't know how much in this podcast we want to pursue that part. Do we want to just kind of wrap this up or do we yep. want to move on? I think, uh, yeah, we'll just, I think we'll call that a podcast with this one. Um, I think in, sorry, I'm way too far away. I'll try that again. Yeah, I think we'll wrap up there today. Um, I think on our next part, we're, this is going to be a two-parter. On our next part, I think we're going to, jump into some uh, kind of frequently asked questions or just maybe sure. misconceptions about yes. Satan and then jump into the, that, that particular point too. But yeah, yeah, we can do that. And so as we think about, so where are we right now? One is um, Satan, does, Satan is an enemy of God and therefore we became his enemy when we, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and follow him, we know that Jesus defeated Satan. We can talk about this more another time, but Satan, Satan was defeated by Jesus not simply on the cross. And again, that's some people think that that's when Satan was defeated. That's when the penalty for our sins was paid. But actually then the book of Revelation tells us, chapter one and other places, that then Jesus was buried, was buried for three days and then came back to life. And in Revelation chapter one, Jesus says of himself in that vision to John in a, in a prophecy is that I was dead and now I'm alive and I now hold the keys to death and Hades. Jesus, if you want to, it doesn't say it, but the implication is then that Jesus rested, grabbed the keys of death and Hades, hell, away from Satan and defeated Satan at that point to have power over people's destiny. Hmm. Theological jump there, but at the same time, that's what it is. And so death is, death is really the tool that Satan uses to deceive people. I mean, there's, there's a lot of possibilities in that conversation, but our fear of death is a great source. It's, it's a trigger point for the uh, evil activity that comes against us. Our personal fear of death makes it to where we will do a lot of things that we, that we are against our values for Mm self-preservation and our fear about death and the fear of the pain of death as well. So we're going to look, we need to look at and realize we've moved into uh, the kingdom of light, which then puts us in opposition to Satan. We are called to then take the offensive, you know, not, not as if we're mindless soldiers that now we're saved. Now we got to do what our new commander God says, but that our hearts long for the rescue of other people from a dominion of darkness. Hmm. And so that motivates us. To move forward. And so when I think about talking about Satan, what he does and how he influences people, we know that we're rescued. We know that we are healed, 
but also then we need to have the courage to realize that, you know, we talked about this actually in our first John podcast, but that when we realize that faith is our victory, that believing in Jesus brings us to a, a spot of overcoming. And also that the one that is in us, the Holy Spirit, he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world, Satan. And so we have this, we, we need to feed that confidence that we can oppose wrong and not be somehow overcome by it. And when you think about like bigger pictures of people, people sometimes, uh, and I would even say Christians and maybe people that are not so like at least visible in their proclamation of their faith in Christ, when they see something wrong in the world, call it evil, call it wrong, call it unjust. Every person I believe, my observation is, is faced with a choice. Do I have the confidence that I can go in and step into that battle to bring right? Or am I going to be fearful and stay back behind the lines and in the fortress? And I think that the over, the realizing Satan is very powerful, but also is a contained power by God that we have to have, we are given the opportunity to put our courage, find our courage in God and to go and do good in the world, regardless of how much opposition would come our way. And so, so a practical point is many Christians will say, well, if it's that hard to do, if it's that dangerous to do, then I'm not supposed to do it. Well, that's really not a factor. The factor is, is this my calling from God through my own passions of my heart and the confidence that I have that no matter what I step into, God will protect me and bring me through it. So in knowing God, we have that confidence. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at knowgod at tonykafka.com. K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com.